This morning's reading is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. The Great Commission. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of age. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, and uh, we come this morning to the second in our series, looking at the marks of mission, all that it means to be a church. And I want to start uh, with an apology, and that is that as I've been thinking about this during the week, I have found myself drawing on some of the examples of my previous church, the church in Burfham, and I hope you don't mind if I share some of them this morning. Uh, it's something I try not to do, uh, but it just seemed to fit, so I hope you'll just uh, accept it in uh, the spirit in which it comes uh, this morning. But last week, David, our associate vicar, uh, called us to the first mark uh, of mission, if you remember. That as a church, uh, we are called to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And when we do that, what do we expect will happen? We'll, people will respond. And so what happens next? So here's the second mark that we are going to look at uh, this morning. It's to teach, to baptise and nurture. And of course that follows on from the great command of Jesus to go and make disciples of all nations. But I wonder what you feel when you hear those words, teach, baptise and nurture. And maybe you're saying, well, I don't teach anybody. I I certainly don't baptise anybody. And I don't nurture anybody. Can I go home now? Well, just to say I'm not sure that that's completely true. Uh, Take nurture, for example. Nurture is about uh, encouraging. It's about nourishing. So anybody involved uh, with our children's and youth work... Any person who leads a home group, uh, anybody who cares for someone else is seeking their well-being and therefore you are fully part of the nurturing business of our church. It's about adding to someone's life and if you're doing that, then you're a nurturer, part of the call of Jesus to make disciples, part of the second mark of mission. But maybe you're also thinking this, something like this. It's uh, it's all right to say, go and make disciples, uh, but actually it's me that needs the help. I'm in no place to put my head outside the door. Uh, I'm struggling with my own discipleship. It's me that needs the help before I can go anywhere. And actually, I'm not sure I've got anything to offer anyone else. I need to be stronger in myself before I even begin to contemplate going out there. Well, uh, let's change the words a bit. Supposing we have uh, these words instead. Welcome, encourage, and model. 
And you may be saying, well, that's cheating a bit, Colin. You swap the order and you swap the words. Is that a fair swap? Well, let's look at them together. So instead of baptism, uh, we have welcome. Well, how's that? Uh, Well, baptism, you know, is about joining together. In the New Testament, we're baptised into Christ. We join our lives with his and he joins his life with ours. That's what the sign of baptism is all about. Our joining together into the life of the risen Christ. But baptism also is a sign, isn't it? About being welcomed into the people of Christ. Uh, That's why fonts are often near the door of the church. They're the welcome in ceremony. Welcome into Christ, welcome in to Christ's family. So just for a moment, look at these two little video clips. The first, uh, Justin Welby, possibly as you've never seen him before. And then listen to a young woman who seems to me to have got her theology exactly spot on. Now, Father, we ask you to bless this water, that all who are baptised in it may be cleansed in the water of life and filled with your spirit may know that they are loved as your children, safe in Christ forever. Amen. Abigail, is this your faith and do you wish to be baptised? Right. Abigail, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And Abigail, with the sign of the cross, the sign of Christ, do not be ashamed to confess the faith of Christ crucified. Fight valiantly against the best, against sin, the world, and the devil, and continue as his faithful soldier and servant to the end of your life. May God, who has received you by baptism into his church, pour upon you the riches of his grace, that within the company of Christ's pilgrim people, you may daily be renewed by his anointing spirit and come to the inheritance of the saints in glory. Amen. I really felt God pushing me to do it. I am declaring my faith in front of this many people. You can inspire people by them hearing how God's worked in your life. And I think that's a big thing about sharing your testimony with people. And I can even remember not being able to see because the water was in my eyes. But as I kind of cleared it away, like I saw my whole church family sitting in front of me and I just felt so blessed. Knowing that I'm baptised in a Church of England church, it's like I feel part of a family now. Once you're in it, once you're propelled into the family and into God, then you're going to be living a life that you'll look back on and you won't regret. But just look at, the, look at these words. See how much they're about joining and welcoming. Within the company of Christ's pilgrim people, you may daily be renewed. Baptism into his church. And the second one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. By one spirit we were all baptised into one body. 
And at every baptism service, there is the welcome, isn't there? And these worlds, we welcome you into the fellowship of faith. We are all children of the same Heavenly Father. We welcome you. And so I hope you can see why I swapped baptism for welcome. I think that that's all right. And welcome feels nice and cosy, but actually I think it can be quite challenging. If you, as I have done on some courses, ask people what their church is like, most people will say, uh, well, well, ours is a very friendly church. I've never heard anybody who puts up their hands and say, ours is a really unfriendly church. And Thatcher, Margaret, uh, famously had this way of dividing people, didn't she? She had this phrase saying, are they one of us? And it's easy, isn't it, to be welcoming to people who are one of us. People who are like us. But what about welcoming people who are not like us? Because baptism is all about welcoming people that Christ has welcomed. And it's his choice, not ours. So maybe another word for welcome is hospitality. I go around to your house for a nice meal. It's not a hint. Well, perhaps it is, but I go around to your house for a nice meal and I say thank you for your hospitality. Uh, But Christian hospitality goes beyond being cosy with friends. It's not just open house for friends. It's open house to strangers in the life of our church. The other day I had an inspirational conversation uh, with our church operations manager, Marion uh, Peters. And she was talking about this quote from a Christian writer called Henri Nouan. Hospitality means primarily the creation of a free space where strangers can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Hospitality is not to change people, but to offer them a space where change can take place. Hospitality is not a subtle invitation to adopt the lifestyle of the host, but a chance for the guest to find their own And she said something like this. I'm putting words into her mouth which I may not actually have got right and I apologise. But I think she said something like this. It's taken me a while but now I see that welcoming people does not give me the right to say how they should respond. It's just making them a space to feel at home. Now this series on the marks of the mission is is to fire our imaginations, I think, about new ways in which we may reach out to the communities around about us. So is there more that we can do as a church? What's in your mind? What's in your heart? Is there more that we can do to be a church that offers hospitality and welcome? Not a place where we pressurise people to be like us, but a place of freedom where people can discover who they are in God. We reach out to the community and are open to welcome what the community might bring back to us. And that's the challenge. I love Surrey. I love uh, living in Surrey. But there are some deeply unpleasant people 
in Surrey, most of whom I find on the Guildford Gyratory system. <laughs> we want to welcome nice people, but what about welcoming unpleasant people? And if you're an unpleasant person here this morning, I want you to know how welcome you are. <laughs> Burfham reference, because we had an old church uh, in uh, Burfham and very often schools uh, wanted to come and exploit with a, a school uh, visit. And I used to, of course, greet them and get the children sitting down. And then I often said something like, thank you for coming, but I'm afraid I can't show you the church today. And there'd be sort of frustration and puzzlement normally on the face of the teachers. And then I went on to say, of course, I can only show you the building where the church comes together. The church is elsewhere. So, what does it mean to offer hospitality? Last week, Debbie talked about what we can do as a church to offer hospitality and welcome to the many, many people from the community around about who come here for weddings and baptisms and funerals, so that they don't just see the church building, not even just meet the clergy, but meet the church family as well. And our local school comes here. Local schools come here. What if they were to meet not just the stones of the church, but the stones of the living church as well? Would you be willing to be here, maybe, just to be around during school visits so that people, children, have a sense that this isn't an empty building but a building full of the life of God's people? What else? What else can we do? What else can we do to offer hospitality and welcome to our community? Not just wanting to share what we have but open to what they might bring. Even if it's uncomfortable. Anything stir you up? If so, share it. So what about our second word? The word is nurture. And I'm suggesting that we swap that for the word encouragement. See, I think nurture is about encouraging growth. If the church is to be a place of nurture... It's to be a place of encouragement. Having quoted Margaret Thatcher, I guess, by way of political balance, let me quote um, Tony Blair, who, whatever else he said, said something which just caught my imagination. He said of his Labour Party, we're at our best when we're at our boldest. And the book of Acts says that the age of the spirit is that the young will dream dreams and the old will have visions. So maybe this is a safe place to explore dreams and visions. And sometimes it's easy, isn't it, to think that God's will, if it's God's will, it must be hard and difficult and unpleasant and costly. And of course, sometimes it has to be and sometimes it is. But sometimes, you know, God's will is the thing deep down that I've always dreamt about and I've always had a vision about it. And here's a place where we can explore that together and maybe give it a go. I know Surrey culture 
is deeply into keeping it safe and playing it safe. And we put a high price on failure. But here at least, at least, can't we give it a go? Here's a place to dream dreams and have visions. And forgive me if I draw on another Burfham uh, example, but uh, one of uh, our curates uh, once noticed that there wasn't too much for families to do during the summer holidays that actually didn't involve them in spending money. And, and many of our families were cash-stretched. So he had the idea of offering the community three activity days on our playing field simply called Free and for Nothing. Free and for nothing because that's how God's love comes to us. And for three days there were bouncy castles and craft tents and all sorts of activities, pony rides, go-karts, radio-controlled aircraft and as much tea and coffee as you could possibly eat. And it was all free. It wasn't rocket science, even though we had water-fired rockets. And when the idea was first launched to our church, the response, of course, was, well, who will pay for it? You don't really seriously think you can offer that for free, do you? And our curate was a bit uh, depressed, but he stayed with it. And the idea caught fire. Uh, and yes, there were buckets for donations. Yes, we had grants and sponsorship. Yes, we begged and borrowed. But yes, it happened. It became a regular future of community life. And thousands of people came over the course of those three days. And most years, it broke even. And sometimes even made a profit. And what was interesting was that it brought the whole church family together because everyone felt that they had something that they could bring to it. And so not only was it good for our community, it was actually good for our church family life. Those who worked during the day got up at ridiculous early hours to come to the playing fields and put out the marquees before they went off to work. Everyone felt that they had something to contribute. And it even got, as you see here, uh, picked up by the local press and uh, they wrote uh, coverage about it. It was a new way of being church in the community, a new way of creating a safe space where we could meet together to talk about Jesus. We had a prayer tent. We had many conversations. It was a safe space on common ground to talk about Jesus. I don't know what to make of this quite, but um, last night, as it happens, I just came across this article in the Church Missionary Society, uh, CMS News, uh, about the Reverend Andrew Gompertz. And it so happens that he's deeply into classic cars, uh, Aston Martins in particular. And uh, I wasn't sure whether to bring it, but I've, I, as it happens, I'm parked next to an Aston Martin in the church car park this morning. So I thought that was a sign that I should bring it, uh, actually. And, and what he's done is, is he's actually started an organisation as a reverend called Revs, which is a whole organisation around people who are deeply into classic cars. And uh, he uh, has uh, an annual car show uh, and, uh, called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. And it's just common ground 
in which classic car enthusiasts can come together and talk about classic cars, but actually find common ground to talk about Jesus uh, as well. And he's got this little vision. I would love to buy an old garage to turn into a cafe and workshop, a place where car culture and Jesus culture can mix together. What's in you? What have you got to offer that could be common ground? Safe space where people of all sorts could come together and talk about Jesus when the moment is right. Encouraging one another is all about discipling one another. And indeed this morning you may think, well I can't do that. But hey, can't you encourage someone else to do it? Because encouragement is part about discipling. So what about our final word? And that's the word teaching in the mark of mission. And I'm changing it to modelling. And actually I've struggled with the word modelling. You may guess that my experience of the catwalk is somewhat limited both as an observer and as a participant. But you know my love of catalogues, uh, but ecclesiastical vestment catalogues are a world apart. (laughs) But just look at these pictures, and I have wondered if I could find... (laughs) a role as an ecclesiastical vestment model but I've never quite managed that distant, far-away, holy look that seems to be required. Not even the vestments for the fuller figure. I don't think I could quite rise to this morning. I used to think I was a model husband until someone told me that a model was a very small example of the real thing. So when I talk about modelling as a teacher, as teaching, I'm talking about all the ways in which we learn from one another. And I think it's been said that there's an African proverb, isn't there, that it takes a whole village to raise a single child. And I'm suggesting that it takes a whole church to make a single disciple. Because teaching isn't what happens at the front of a church so much. Or even just what happens in home groups or cafe churches. It's what happens between ourselves and amongst ourselves. Isn't it here where we disciple one another? Where we learn how Christians treat each other? Isn't it here where we discover what matters to people who are Christians? Isn't it here that we learn how Christians react in times of stress and difficulty and trauma? Isn't it here we see how Christians use their time and money? Isn't it here we learn how to pray for one another? Isn't it here, crucially, where we learn how to worship together as Christ's people? And we learn it not because someone has told us, but because we see it and feel it and pick it up from one another, perhaps even without being aware of it. Isn't it that discipleship is caught as much as taught? And you see, discipleship isn't about asking people to join a perfect community. Who'd want to do that, really? 
It's about asking people to join a community who have found in Christ the possibility of there being a different way. And it's simply an invitation for us to journey together along that way of Christ. That quote that Debbie put in her email this week from Nelson Mandela, we are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within each of us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give light to other people to do the same. Bob Bridges, our home group uh, leader, has this vision for every session of our, of our really great home group. And his little vision is this, that people should come away from every meeting of our home group having learned something new or be encouraged to do something differently. Now, isn't that how we disciple one another? Isn't that how we share together? Sometimes up here we encourage one another to step outside our comfort zones. Uh, But Bob says he's too old to do that. But what he says he is prepared to do is to have the edges of his comfort zone pushed back a bit. And I think that's just right. And I love what Archdeacon Paul Davis said last week, quoting, I think, Rowan Williams. A church is a space cleared by Jesus where people can be who they most truly are. And that's about encouragement. It's about nurture. It's about setting people free to grow in Christ. I love the culture of this church. I love the freedom we have. I love the jokiness of it. I love the laid-backness of it. But actually, sometimes we just need to pause and think about the seriousness of what we're about as a church. Because we are called to live differently so that we can make a difference. And as a church, we have a serious responsibility to be God's people in the world Those final words of Jesus. Go into the whole world and bring people into the life of the Trinity. Make them disciples because that's the life into which you and I have entered. And then he ascends into heaven. So Jesus returns to heaven and is greeted with joy by the angels. And the angels look down with Jesus on the earth and say to him, "Uh, Master, Uh, What's your plan for making sure the work of your kingdom continues now you're back in heaven? And Jesus points to his ragged bunch of disciples and says to the angels, you see these people? They're my plan. And the angels go, "Um, so what's your other plan? And Jesus says, I have no other plan. I'm aware that this has been a bit uh, solid and, uh, and uh, chewy. So for those who like it a bit more touchy-freely, how about this just to uh, end uh, with? I'm a hole in a flute that Christ's breath moves through. Listen to this music. When people hear that music, the music of our lives, they too join in. And sing the song of Christ 
as his disciples. Amen.